0: (laughs) It's that big button that says record. Welcome back to the Spring Church Podcast. I'm Matt McCoy. And for today's podcast, I'm excited to have you join in to a conversation I had with Gustavo Santos recently. Gustavo works with the Marketplace Institute up at Regent College, he's done a lot of work around vocation and calling. And brings his unique Brazilian perspective to a lot of robust scholarship he's done on on the subject. And so we usually think of vocation or calling as doing something I enjoy and getting paid for it and feeling fulfilled. And instead, Gustavo helps us reimagine vocation as participating with what God is doing in the world around us. I hope you enjoy this conversation that we had as we reimagine vocation. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Heading North. The goal for this evening's Heading North is is a little different. Uh, The goal for tonight actually is to cultivate a shared sense, a shared understanding, a shared definition of vocation. What is vocation? What do we mean by that? What do we understand about that? Now, honestly, that sounds like a really boring goal and a boring reason to all get together. So I'm just going out there as a linguist. I like definitions, and it's kind of fun for me. But also, I think that for us to have a shared imagination around what we uh, what we understand about that is in really important uh, as we continue through our study of the Book of Ruth. And so, to help us with that, we've got a special guest with us this evening. Uh, my friend Gustavo Santos is currently a student, uh, getting uh, pursuing a master's own, uh the marketplace theology and he's also an academic administrator up at regent college prior to living in vancouver gustavo lived in sao paulo brazil is that how you say it sao paulo how do you say it in portuguese
1: sao paulo
0: sao paulo
1: yeah that's a hard close? one we have like this nasal kind of sao paulo sao paulo, sao paulo. Yeah, that's hard yeah that's hard. yeah but that that's that's,
0: so- that's very good it's yeah yeah it's, it's it's cool let's just be honest with each other this evening gustavo um and uh, and he works uh, worked in management positions in the marketplace uh, back in his home te- home in Brazil. He's passionate about marketplace theology and helping other people understand vocation. And he was recently featured on Regent College's podcast on Ruth and vocation. It was actually listening to that podcast with Gustavo where I thought, okay, this is a this is a way of understanding vocation rooted in the story of Ruth that I think is. Uh, incredibly valuable for us, but also just really gripping. It's um, a beautiful way of, of understanding vocation, and it's a beautiful way of approaching how do we work, and why do we work, and what does it look like? Can we spend so much of our days working? And what does that mean, and how do we do that? So we're going to start taking a swing at that uh, tonight. Before we do, Gustavo, I'd like to catch you up on the big idea. And the big idea is what we as a church, how we arrange our trajectory as we go through a book. And In this case, we're going through the book of Ruth. And our big idea right now, uh, as we go through Ruth, is that God is at work and at play in the everyday joys and frustrations as we go about our ordinary life. Right now, we're on step four. Steps one through three are how we as individuals walk in the direction Jesus is walking and we're transitioning now from looking at this as individuals to looking at this as a, as a, a diverse community. And, you know, right there, it's, it's kind of fun to think about vocation as a community something and not an individual something. But that our vocation is participating in what God is doing, not using my gifts. And so I've got one uh, question for you. Like, this is what we're going for here. That we can define vocation. We can identify an individual gift. And then how do we participate with what God is doing, you know, even when we can't see it? Like, that's, that's what we're wanting to do as we are within this step four right here. So the question I have for you, Gustavo, first is that as we look at this big idea and where we are tonight, I want to highlight that the word not is in capitals, right? That participating in what God is doing, not using my gifts. So why do you... Why would you think redefining vocation would be so important
1: yeah i think um we're going to talk more about this more extensively why the not is in in caps lock there but like i think it is a very narrow understanding of uh vocation if uh using my gifts is the only way of uh following this vocation i think one thing that we should keep in mind is that if there's a calling right, like vocation comes from vocare. that's the same thing as calling, you know, um, if there's a calling, there's a caller, someone who's calling, right? So I think the the most important part of this conversation is the one who's calling. And for Christians, we believe that the one who's calling is Jesus Christ and the Trinity, actually, uh, God is, is trying God. So I think, um, that, that's why it's important because it starts in a different way. It doesn't start with me and my gifts and my talents and my opportunities and possibilities. But it starts with the one who calls. That's the most important part of the, the conversation I believe.
0: That's fantastic. So this idea that, so, you know, vocare is where you get vocal cords, yep. uh, you know, that vocation, those things are connected. So it's paying attention to what God is doing and participating in that a modern-day definition for vocation, which is uh, simply the work to which a person is employed. Like, it's the work you do. What's um, missing in that, of course, is God, or the idea that it's there's somebody calling us to do this, that we're responding to the voice of another person. And we've been spending in Spring Church, we've been spending the last several months listening to the voice of God, discovering different ways where we can hear God and, and what God is saying, but I'm wanting to kind of maybe focus on this model a little bit more. You know, what do you feel like is is the problem when we take vocation as something that I choose, or I'm using my gifts, and it's about me feeling, you know, fulfilled uh, as I pursue my vocation?
1: Yeah, I think the problem I have with this definition is essentially that it kind of excludes most of the world's population. If you think of uh, people around the world who are doing work, um, well, first they have work. So that's one big piece that's, that's missing in that definition. So if, it's, if vocation is like the work that someone is kind of employed to do, if you're not employed, what does that mean? Does that mean that you don't have a vocation? I, I, I find it hard to believe that that's the case.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, as even as I'm talking to you right now, I'm, I'm in a homeless shelter. And exactly. so my friends that are a part of our church, uh, that are guests here at the Lighthouse Mission, they don't have paid work, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're absolutely left out of that definition of vocation.
1: Exactly. But to say nothing
0: of the millions of people around the world, yeah, who you know, that not really resonates.
1: So that's one thing that's missing. The other thing that's missing is what about uh, people that cannot work? What about people who are disabled? What, what about people who have, you know, other kinds of problems that kind of uh, prevent them from working? That's another piece that's missing. So does that mean that they don't have a vocation? Again, for me, it's hard to believe that. And the third thing is, um, which I think it's the, 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 the more subtle but also more pervasive uh, um, narrowing understanding we have about vocation is the choice piece. So people usually think about uh, choosing jobs as finding their vocation, but the choice is actually available to just a few people in the world. You know, uh, I would say that like, 80% 80% of the, the workers, you know, give or take, 80%, that's what the International Labor Organization says. 80% of the people are just working to make ends meet. There's no choice in there.
0: And, you know, as, you, as we look at the story of Ruth, you know, clearly that's what we see is uh, her job was as a gleaner. Mm-hmm. Let's take a a look at these issues that you bring up, Gustavo. I I love how you walked us through this earlier. So if you could just take us through a journey on what happens when you put a modern definition of vocation and you try to apply that to the book of Ruth and to the story of what happens in Ruth's life.
1: So I found, and I'm leaving out my vocation. That means that I'm being like fulfilled because I'm doing something, you know, that kind of I understand that's my vocation and that's because I found something that I'm good at and I chose this thing, right? Now, if for some reason, which is the case of 80% of population in the world, as I mentioned, for some reason I cannot choose or cannot find this thing, does that mean that I, I won't be fulfilled and does that mean that I won't really uh, leave out my vocation? So in... In one way, we're, we're, we're seeing the world today is that finding a job that you can choose uh, to use your gifts and talents and everything is a privilege, is a right. social privilege to the like simplest uh, sense of the word. It's a privilege. So if that's true, if uh, finding some, something that I'm good at and choosing that thing and then be fulfilled and then leave out my vocation Means that I'm in the right place because God has called me there. What I'm saying, actually, if I just take this thought and apply it to the eighty percent of the world, I'm just saying, "Hey, I'm really sorry, but what God has called you to do is not possible. So you're gonna die without living out your vocation."
0: That's a hard, uh, you know. That's a hard message. I think, um, as certainly as a business person in America, I was. Trained in this notion that th- that is exactly this: that for my, for me to be be fulfilled in my vocation, I need to find something I'm good at, and then I need to figure out a way to go make money at it, and then that's living out uh, my vocation. And you know, Ruth was just trying to avoid starvation; she's mm-hmm. literally picking up pieces of barley off the ground.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But is is that her, and so I love this image of, you know, here's, a, here's Ruth, an image of Ruth on the left, and then uh, two women just c- collecting water, mm-hmm. right? And so we don't ordinarily look at a photo like this and think, oh, those, those women must be living out their vocation right now. Yeah. But what would, you, uh, what would you say to that, Gustavo?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are they living out their vocation, or what, uh, what does that mean if, if Ruth was? Like, how do we understand vocation if Ruth was living at her vocation while picking up hunks of grain off the ground?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think um, one important thing that I'd like to highlight is that feeling good about the work you do, is there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Using your gifts and talents, doing something that you love doing and being paid for that, that's totally fine. And that's a blessing. That's a gift, Right. I just wanted to make this that clear because that's, it's that's it's not a sin. It's not a problem in itself. The problem comes when I begin defining vocation by this experience. So imagine like, you know, like you have like some, something that you do that you like doing and you enjoy kind of using your gifts and talents and everything, but that's a little part of your life. You have like so much that's bigger than that. Right. So if we define vocation by this narrow thing, narrow idea, what we're doing is just excluding everything, everyone else that cannot be in that space. So I think if we look at Ruth, what we can understand, I think, is that vocation has to be something bigger. It has to, it has to be big enough to, um, to embrace Ruth's situation. And because like, it's there, it's in the Bible, it's part of the canon, like we read it like as sacred scripture. So why is it there? So that's, that's probably because God wanted it, right? I think that's, oh, yeah. that's part of it. So when I think about Ruth and think about, yes, she was fulfilling her vocation, what I understand in my own mind, like reading it through over and over, is that she was attentive to what God was calling her to do. And in that story, that's not gleaning the feuds. It's something else. What is it? What is it that she is called to do in that story?
0: In True Heading North Style, we're going to take that. What is Ruth called to do in that story? And we're going to just put that in a parking lot for just a second. And so if there was a a definition of vocation that I would want to put forward for our church, so that way we as we try to live this out in the weeks and months and years to come we have a shared imagination around that and i'm kind of excited because it's only six words long and usually i write in my words are measured in the thousands of words and that one's at six participating in what god is doing how does that one sit with you
1: it looks good i mean i think it has like all the elements we've been talking to so talking about so for example god is the one who's doing and he invites us to participate that's that's one interesting twist i would say because if you ask out there what is some like what is someone's vocation they're going to start with themselves they're going to oh, start yeah. with like saying my vocation is to do this and then the whole thing about being relevant and being influential and and you know doing good to the world and it's all kind of legit, but it's very shallow, right? I mean, the thing is... Legit
0: but shallow. That's, yeah. that's a good summary right there.
1: I think, I think the problem is that we, we have such a rich tradition in, in Christian tradition, like telling us and, 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 and trying to inculcate in us like this big story that's yep. being developed over the, the centuries, that God is the one who's doing this. And he is the, the, the one who starts things. He's the one who makes things. He's the one who creates things. We are just creatures. I yep. think that's important kind of, you know, to remember. Yep. Even though like we, we, we feel like the, the thrust, you know, like to, to do something for the world and to save and to create and everything. That's fine. But as I said, like it's shallow because it kind of takes us from the, the place of creature To not a creator. So we're not creators. So I think that's something that in that definition I like. It's God who's the one who's doing it. And he invites us to participate in that.
0: That's that's fantastic. Thank you. So so let's 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 pull that question back out of the parking lot now and, and bring it back here for the large group. And uh you know, feel free to for chime in anyone. You know, what is Ruth called to do? in that story. What is Ruth's vocation in the story of Ruth?
1: We have a suggestion.
0: What you got, John and Elena?
1: Elena suggested uh, to uh, contribute to the line of David and God's, like the lineage that God planned for David and then Jesus and then on from there. Fantastic. What do you, th- what do you think, Gustavo? Um, I would have like a follow-up question. like. Do you guys think that she knew that? Yeah, because that's that's part of the story, of course, like we, we see at the end that this is looking back, this is how the f- things kind of play out. But think about something that was like just in front of her.
2: Well, in my mind, she's, um, in supporting her mother-in-law, it, it, it's what she's doing to represent how you should be to others. That was her job at yeah, the time. For sure. Yeah, and yeah. she That's felt, and she felt that was her job. And mm-hmm. I think that, in my mind, I think that she was somebody who was taking that very seriously and looking at herself as an example to others. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Melissa, I think uh, the story mm-hmm. really supports that view because when Boaz meets her for the first time, in the Hebrew, he uses the language of the covenant that God made with Abraham when he talked about how, you know, we all have seen how you live. We all know what kind of an incredible person you are Mm -hmm. and that you are living out what it means to be uh, a child of Abraham, even though you're an immigrant widow uh, living in poverty.
2: In my mind, she knew that. In my mind, she knew that um, in doing that, she wasn't just supporting this this negative human being. She was also um, creating an example for the people that are surrounding her.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Gwen, were you gonna say something?
2: Well, I just was thinking the passage that we know Ruth for is, you know, wherever you go, I will follow. And it's, to me, it was kind of that theme of, um, whatever you do, I will do with you, I will be. And it supports what Melissa's saying. Um, But that has been kind of the, the verse for that book. In many ways, songs have been written about that. And there's some emphasis about I will do what you ask me to do,
0: oh.
2: and that was her job.
0: What do you think about that, Gustavo?
1: No, I, I agree. I think I think that's exactly what I what I think that she had like in front of her. It was like to take care, take care of Naomi. That was it. I mean, essentially, I think if we translate it, would be um, put food on the table, mm-hmm. as simple as that. Um, take care of someone who was vulnerable around her um, and using whatever she had to make sure that this was happening. So we still have food on the table. I'm um, taking care of you. Um, and just remember like all the tragedies that these two women just experienced, right? They've lost lots. I mean, people, um all the familiar places for for Ruth, particularly, um you know, like different land, different people, slightly different different language, like different costumes like everything was was different um, and all of this with the grieving inside, right like I think carrying like a burden of grief, you know and and then like now she has, this person with her and she's actually she she's decided to follow her to take care of her you know so but in in basic uh, words i would say that's yeah she's she's surviving and helping the one who's with her to survive as well so i i like to say that because i think it's when we think about vocation it's very very easy to go to a final point of our story and just think, you know, like, yeah, that's my vocation. But actually it never happens that way. Like it's always looking back. Yeah. I mean, there's no way we can tell now what our vocation is. I mean, if you are if, if we're expecting this, this tonight, like, that's not going to happen, you know, like there's no way. I mean, it's always looking back. And I think when we get to the end of the story and we see everything that happened, that's fine. And we can, we can trace the, the kind of whole history of Israel kind of by that little thread. That's, that's beautiful. But thinking and looking at things from Ruth's perspective, what she was seeing, just like our, our sight now is, just like what is in front of us. That's what I think it's important to remember.
0: You know, two uh, two observations to that. You know, one would be oh, okay. the uh, the the place that people who are suffering and in grief still have within a vocation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And how many times when I'm in a relationship with somebody who is suffering or in grief, who feel like they have lost their vocation, and instead through this story, that. that their vocation isn't dependent on that. And you know, particularly, I'm thinking of uh, my friends here in the Lighthouse Mission with me, that their their vocation isn't wiped out by their grief. Uh, and it isn't wiped out by their suffering. Mm-hmm. And also in particular, I'm thinking of everybody else too, mm-hmm. right? that we're all in this boat. And then, um, and the other one is how many times in America, when somebody has to stop working in order to physically care for another person, they often describe that in terms of, I've lost my vocation. Mm-hmm. And So whether that is, uh, you know, somebody caring for babies or infants, or whether somebody is caring for an elderly parent in the last stages of life, or whether it's someone with disabilities. But whenever some, we stop as Americans and we care for another Person, we oftentimes feel like we've lost our vocation. And instead, if it's participating in what God is doing, we have in reality found it. But mm-hmm. right? that's a to, 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 because it's about participating with what God is doing. You know, and kind of, I guess, following up with that, Gustavo, I'd have one more question for you. One of the things that we've wrestled with as a church and continue to is around spiritual practices and how we use those spiritual practices. To help us pay attention to what God is doing, to help us hear the voice of God, to help us connect with what God is doing, and so I'm wondering for you, in particular, are there any spiritual practices that you have found um, particularly helpful for you as you try to live out your vocation of participating with what God is doing in the world around you?
1: There are many, many spiritual practices that we can use, you know, to discern and uh, to uh, understand or try to hear what God is saying but like in my case I think one that I found really helpful was the examine uh, that was developed by Ignatius um, I think you probably have this on your website now as one of the, the ways of praying and essentially, sure <laughs> essentially the practice of the examine is like it's something that you can do every day uh, actually some Jesuits would say that you can do even twice a day you you kind of do like mid midday and then at the end of the day and essentially you you look back at your day and you you try to um, my wife says like you you just play a little movie a trailer of your day you know and then you try to find moments there when you kind of just jogging your memory you you find moments that God spoke with you or something that really called your attention. Um, and then you stay there for a little while. And then you, you and God try to discern what that means. Um, like the, the examine itself, you, you'll see there, you have like five steps that you can follow. It's very straightforward. But essentially what we're doing there is looking back to our day and trying to pay attention to the movements of the spirit in us. Right. Um, Ignatius believed that the way that God speaks to us is through our affections, our emotions. That's kind of the communication center of our bodies because we cannot hear God's voice. Sometimes we do. I never heard his voice like, you know, like audible kind of thing.
0: Gustavo.
1: <laughs> That'd be great. Huh? Or scary. I don't know.
0: Not sure, yeah, if I, especially if it's like that. Like, how do we know it's not like Gustavo?
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't right? know. Yeah, we're just like who's this, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think I think it's interesting, like to think about um, our affections as um, not only impulsive feelings or emotions. It's like it's it's thoughtful understanding of your feelings that's a little bit different it's not it's not just like what did i feel it's more like how do i process these things that happen within me you know and um it's very simple you can do like you know 10 minutes a day like at the end of the day uh some some people are in the morning i think it's for me it works better like you do in the morning and then i think of the the day that just um happened like yesterday so that's because of my energy levels but I, I do think that's important to do something the examine is one of them but something that helps you to to think about what's going on with you you know like every day i think it's important to do that
0: yeah we've got the uh a link to the uh examine if you'd like the instructions it's uh, on our church's website um and so feel free to check that out. Um, you know what? There's also an app. I used an app for about maybe two years uh, for this, um, you know, during a season of my life when I really needed the uh, that ability to stay connected to my emotional life and how my emotional life was signaling what God was doing in the world around me. Uh, you know, I found that tremendously helpful. I might... Be tempted to ask Gustavo the question of of what happens with around community and vocation when the community is uh, tearing itself apart. And so I'm thinking, uh, you know, if if I only could think of a large nation that had a divisive election coming up, Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know. But like, what is our vocation as Christians? How do we participate in what God is doing, particularly when? it seems like a bit of a free-for-all as people are trying to discern what is God doing in America right now? Mm-hmm. And what might our vocation be in the midst of that? How about, y'all have heard from me ask a lot of questions, how about uh, the other group? What? Um, Alright, in. what you got?
2: Um, we had a couple. Um, and one of them came up, uh, Gustavo, when you were talking about we have to look back to see it, we can't see it today. And, or even vision, I didn't get it. Why can't we see it today? When other people can see other people's vocations today, why can't we see it? Why do we have to wait and look back? That was kind of a big one for me, and then I had another one.
1: Yeah, what I meant by that was it's really hard for, for us to, to know what we are about to do with our lives if our lives have not ended yet. So think about Ruth, right? Think about, you know, her vocation, you know, in the beginning of the story. Get married, you know, got married to, you know, a guy who's from another country. Um, And what, what was expected? Well, she would have kids, big family, you know, family tradition, everything happening after that. They don't have kids. The guys die. She moves to another country. I mean, if you ask her 10 years before, what was her vocation, she would tell you something very different.
2: Right.
1: That's, that's what I meant by that. It's really hard to predict anything about the future. Mm. And I think our vocation is what God has called us to do day by day. So that's hard to, to, to know now. We can, of course, we can see a trajectory. We can see, oh, that's what I'm coming from and that's where I think I'm going, right? But there's so many details and so many things, so many variables. Like, let's just hypothetically, imagine that there's a pandemic happening.
0: That's hard to imagine.
1: I mean, can you imagine something like that? Something that no, just that's crazy. stops the world. Can you imagine that? No. So that's what I'm saying. I think, I think it's, it's really hard for us to accept that we, we are not in control.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, that's painful. And I, I don't mean like, it's not my place to point fingers. But one thing that I've noticed in North America in general is that choice is king if I cannot choose I am stripped away of my humanity it's more like you know it's like and that that is kind of good in one sense I think it could be good because you're kind of fighting for your agency which is important but the, the flip side of that coin is that you you might not deal well with changes that we were not expecting because you're not choosing them, and one thing that we have to admit when we're following Jesus is that He's the one who makes the calls, calls the shot, calls the shots. Is that an expression? Yeah, right.
0: That's it. Yeah, no, you got it.
1: Yeah. So we do make decisions as we go because He's inviting us. He's not a dictator. He's He's inviting us to follow Him but we are not in control. And that's painful for us because that's the whole point of our sinful um, nature is that we want to choose. We want to decide. We want to have agency. But in fact, God is the one who's calling us and inviting us to follow him. So that's why I made, why I said that it, we cannot. It's not that we, we shouldn't dream about the future. It's not that we shouldn't like Imagine like a trajectory, but we should hold it really lightly because it, we're not in control. Something happens, everything's gone. And then I cannot, I cannot really live without having this that vocation that I dreamed from, for myself. That's too, you know, like destructive. So I think, I think we do dream and imagine, but we should hold this lightly. Yeah.
0: That's great. Thanks, Gustavo. What was your other question, Gwen?
1: Oh, just, um, I was thinking,
2: are we always in vocation, but we may not recognize it?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Because like the question that kind of follows that one is, can someone miss their vocation? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so. And the reason why I say this is that we do make choices. Like, following Jesus was a choice that we made. Mm-hmm. So everything that follows that, you know, is kind of deciding to, to follow Jesus, like, every day or some. But, like, the only thing that I, I would be careful with this that I'm saying is I don't think, like, it's one decision that kind of puts you off and then you're, mm-hmm. you're done. No. I think, like, the scriptures are very clear about the that our lives are measured by the faithfulness we have, you know, throughout. It's not about like one choice, one decision. Oh man, I screwed up and I'm done. No, it's, it couldn't be like that. Otherwise we're just, everybody here just like, you know, gone. But the thing is, imagine someone who makes decisions constantly denying the call that God is, making or or kind of inviting them like we can't imagine that so if if i live my life always saying no to what god is calling me to do that means in my understanding at least that i'm missing my vocation because i'm i'm missing what god is inviting me to do
0: no i think I, i like that verb participating in what god is doing right because you can choose not to participate but you can always choose to jump back in
1: exactly Exactly
2: yeah Our group came up with two questions. Uh, one was how do we support somebody else
1: um,
2: in this development uh, acknowledgement seeing of their vocation when they can 't see it, um, and the other question, what does it mean to, to just participate in what is going on? How does that really happen?
1: So I think how, how do we support I think um... I think if you, if you love someone, you're going to speak truth. So speaking truth might, you know, look like, hey, come on. You know, that's not what God is calling you to do. Or it might be, hey, what are you afraid of? I mean, fear is huge. Fear is huge. And it kind of paralyzes us and it's really hard to, to move if you're afraid of something. I think speaking truth is probably what kind of summarizes it because like it, it helps you to, to navigate with love because you respect someone who you love. So if you're not saying some things because you think that they cannot handle it, that means that you don't believe in their ability to deal with the truth. And it's actually a lack of respect. You're not protecting them. You're actually letting them know that you don't trust them to handle the truth. So speaking truth, I think it's probably what kind of comes, you know, like to my mind very uh, strongly because like everything else comes uh, trickles down from that kind of speaking truth. And one thing that I'd like to say is that even speaking truth or discerning vocation, it's always, always, always to the best of our knowledge it is honestly deciding and taking and taking steps and to the best of our knowledge, we might be wrong. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I've, I've made mistakes. You know, everybody does, but I I think, I think we should just like be free from that mentality that we have to, you know, nail it like in one or two decisions, guys, that's not going to happen. You know, it is always to the best of our knowledge. So a prayer that you can you can pray is, Lord, I'm taking this step and just kind of moving forward to the best of my knowledge of myself and of yourself. And then I'm moving and then go and let it go. And just like, trust God, he, he loves you, right? So yeah, back to the question, speak truth. And how does it look like participating? It looks like church. It looks like life. It looks like um, it looks like shalom. It looks like peace before God.
0: Gustavo, can I, can I give you the definition for spring, uh, spring Church for discipleship? Yep, please. Walking in the direction Jesus is walking in.
1: There you go. Boom.
0: I've got a couple of questions from our group. So one question is, is focused on vocation in the midst of profound grief. And what keeps you hopeful that you're still living in your vocation, that you're still participating in what God is doing, even in the midst of, of profound grief and suffering in your own life? And certainly we see that from, from Ruth, yeah. but like, how do you do it?
1: Yeah.
0: How do we do it?
1: I think... Because we cannot see the future, um, we it's 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 easy for us like to suffer because we cannot see uh the future, and when we're kind of in the midst of grieving, it's really hard to imagine the future. But as Christians, we do have a future that we know, and the future is the kingdom of God, and He's the one who's taking care of uh, history and he's the one who's moving things along and he's the one who's kind of uh, reconciling everything. So in that sense, I think the only way we can keep hopeful is thinking about this future in which Jesus is the King and justice will be available for everyone. So, um, now, if you ask me, what are like the the practical um, twelve-step based actions to keep hopeful? I don't have that. I don't. It's really hard for me to to see that as um as a as something that we can provide to ourselves, right. because that's that becomes self-help. It becomes something that we cannot really produce or create. I think this hope we have is because God decided to come from outside history to help us and to invite us to to participate. So that, that little part that's called hope cannot come from ourselves. It cannot come from a system. It cannot come from a political party. It cannot come from a new president. It cannot come from you know it can't it's it's just something that we if we, if we have to practice something i think to keep keep hope is keep remembering keep remembering who's the one who's taking care of the whole of I guess, history
0: one of the, one of the stories that i was sharing uh with a friend here who's um going through some really incredible grief it was how when jesus was in the wilderness uh, Jesus was led into the wilderness by God and Jesus was led out of the wilderness by God. And yes. that when we are in these wilderness spaces where our grief and our suffering is tremendous, oftentimes God invites us into those spaces and, and we can't leave on our own. You yes. can't just decide, I'm not going to be depressed anymore. I'm not going to be sad anymore. I'm not going to be in grief anymore. I'm not going to be in this terrible place anymore. That we are led out of those places by God, and often through our community. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so that's something we receive. You know, so you mentioned something that I would love to pull on that thread a little bit more, and that would be uh, political parties and presidents. And our church is, is currently interacting with the Global Church Project. And we got to talk last week with Dr. Graham Hill of the Global Church Project as we launch um, Healing Our Broken Humanity, the book and video series that the Global Church has put together, and so uh, a question I would have for you as a Brazilian is: When you think about our, what is our vocation as a church located in Bellingham, Washington, as it pertains to the U.S. election? You know, and so how do we, how do we navigate the community discernment piece that comes with church with vocation? and being the church, when, you know, the community is tearing itself apart over this. Mm. And so just to, you know, like a nice easy question yeah. for you, but hey, we we invited you out here, so let's go ahead and,
1: yeah. you know, well, let's get into it. I mean, are you guys following, like, what's happening in Brazil right now? Like, you know, like, that's pretty similar.
0: <laughs> it's fairly peaceful down there. What?
1: You mean it's uh, yeah, not yeah. that? Yeah, because we you saw know, pictures
0: of it and it looked all harm, harmonious down there. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Green grass and trees. and
1: <laughs> I think, um, so when we say, for example, it's participating in what God is doing, right? I think, I think like the backdrop of what God is doing, because God is doing like lots of things, right? Like, we cannot really count what God is doing, it's really hard. But as a backdrop, I would say that, like, if I had to, um, just sum up and summarize what God is doing in the world. I would probably choose Colossians 1, 16, 17, which is he's reconciling to himself, like everything, like in Jesus, God is reconciling everything. Such a beautiful passage. So I think the key word for me is reconciliation. So, God is reconciling everything and everyone to himself throughout history. So if you use that as a backdrop and you read scriptures, you're going to see that like, yeah, that works, that works, that works, that works. Like it's him calling Israel to himself again. It's him like, you know, uh, in the New Testament, for example, Paul, you know, telling everybody like, hey, there's no Jews or Gentiles or, you know, male or female, like all about reconciliation, so, I don't know what is like Spring Church's um, vocation in this point of history, uh, particularly in terms of what you guys are going to do this week. But I do know that it should have to do with reconciliation. Right. Because that's what God is doing in the world for sure. That's, that's a given. Like, this is scripture. This is, that's an easy one. I mean it's easy to know what that is, but it's really hard to, to do it. So I would say that the challenge is to question your like and ask yourselves like what is what reconciliation looks like in our context? What reconciliation looks like in our context? So when you say like hypothetically that a community is kind of tearing apart over some issues. The tearing apart part of the story is that we need to make sure that's not there anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like what does that mean? I mean, does it mean? And it could mean like mm, so many different things. It could mean that who's who's the one who who decides not to fight? Who's the one who decides not to you know uh, be right? Who's the one who decides not to point fingers? who's the one who decides to for the sake of love just be quiet I mean we have a we have a a, a saying here in our home It's just like like between my wife and I it's just like it's not because you have uh, an opinion that you should share it
0: <laughs> yeah that, that kind of heads close to home, okay. <laughs> like,
1: I mean it's um, so I, I would say that if we can put like reconciliation as a backdrop for sure. everything we do that would be probably right
0: one other question for you um, and that is that uh, one of the things we were noticing in our group was that participating in what God is doing as vocation then caring for other people all of a sudden, it gets elevated in ways that's sort of beyond what our American imaginations usually hold. Yeah. And so, you know, someone washing dishes as an act of caring for the people that they live with in their home all of a sudden gets elevated in stature in a way that's that seems pretty unique a- alongside caring for other people. What advice would you have to for folks that are wanting to live this out and don't exactly know what to do next. Like, it's one thing to kind of hear this and go, wow, okay, cool. But but what sort of homework might you want to, w- would you want to assign somebody, if we were going to use the language of the academy, what should somebody's homework be if they wanted to uh, live into this?
1: I think the key word would be like discernment, but in a way that makes sense to real life. So that means... Um, Spending time, of course, like praying and reading scriptures and meditating and like and being quiet. I think that's important. Um, and quiet enough so we can we can hear what God is saying. That's one part of it. I would probably say um, talk to people, talk to people that love you and people who are around you, because I think that's uh, that's how we we were made for, made for community, right? Like we were made to live in community. So it's like 95% of the time, maybe 99, maybe hundred percent of the time, your vocation is towards some, someone else. It is serving. It is being uh, there for someone, have someone's back. It is, it is a communal kind of exercise as well. So
0: you know, and just if I could drag the highlighter across right there, that's why in our big idea
1: mm-hmm. at the
0: very beginning, vocation is located in the community yes. piece of it and not in the individual piece.
1: It's not, yeah. Like
0: that our vocation is held by our community. Exactly. It's not held by us as individuals.
1: Yeah, your your time, like your personal time with God will help you to discern how to live that out. Uh, in your community that's that's the direction this goes it's kind of God calls us to do something with for by someone else yeah. you know it's it's part of the, the community so in terms of homework it's I think it's having like this rhythm of yes being by yourself and and discerning and doing like the spiritual practices but also, being like attentive to what's going
0: on around you. Thank you for joining us. I uh, hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Gustavo Santos as we reimagine vocation. You can find out more on Facebook or Instagram as well as this content is all available on our website at springchurchbellingham.com.